Hi, I'm Reed Huberman, and I'm the lead pastor of Soma Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, and this is our podcast. We hope it fills your heart with the love of Christ and fuels your day with hope. Here's today's message. So my wife and I, um, last Sunday, pretty much directly after service, we jumped on a plane and we spent the whole week um, on the West Coast and then just came back. We were out doing some some church conferences and some church meetings out there, and then we just flew back um, yesterday. But before we went out there, and we'd been there before, um, so we've certainly done this at great length in the past, but before we went out there, we did a lot of preparation for our journey. We did a lot of preparation for our journey. Uh, We made sure that we were packed. We made sure that we had the right clothes. Uh, Mark Twain said this about San Francisco, because that's where we started our trip. He said, the the coldest winter I ever had was the summer I spent in San Francisco. So you can always trust that it's going to be cold at night in San Francisco. So we made sure we had coats and everything else just to make sure that we were prepared for our trip. Uh, We even did uh, the trip down the PCH, the the U.S. Highway 1, which kind of just side skirts the mountains and the ocean um, all along uh, the the west coast, all the way down to L.A. Um, And so we did that, and so we we made sure we knew exactly where the stops were that we we wanted to see and make sure that we knew all of those uh, were there so that we didn't miss a single thing. And I think the same thing is true of us here on this earth. We do well to plan for what's going to happen. We do well to plan for the trip that is going to happen for each and every one of us in this life. And now I don't know if you're going to uh, win Publishers Clearinghouse, and I don't even know if they have that anymore. I don't know if you're gonna win the lotto. But I can tell you this, death and taxes gonna happen to each and every one of us, right? And so we're gonna eventually take a trip, each and every one of us, at the end of our life. And so it does us well to prepare. And so today I want to try to help us all prepare for what Jesus was doing when he was saying, today you will be with me in paradise. So if we're going to plan for our trip, it it behooves us to kind of look and see what the Bible says about heaven. You know, I find it interesting that um, we talk a lot about heaven and some of us believe that we're on our way to heaven. But if I were to ask um, maybe the majority of us in, in, in the congregation here this morning, what scripture verses do you, do you know about heaven? What does the Bible tell you about heaven? Some of us would, would have some things that we could say about it and some of us would not. And, 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 and I think that, that it's important for us if we are going to plan for our eventual deaths that each and every one of us that will experience. And we are going to plan for hopefully a journey to heaven that we understand what's at stake and that we understand what it's really all about. So today I want to take you on a little bit of a very small, because there's so much I could say about it, a small journey to heaven. A small journey to kind of show you what what heaven's about. And then I want to take you on a journey to show you why it's important to you now. Why it matters to you here and now. So that we don't just one day look forward to something great, but that we also appropriate what Jesus did for us on the cross, which really is what I believe Christianity here and now is all about. Understanding what Jesus did for us on the cross so that we don't just say, yes, I believe God, but so that the power and the glory and the goodness of what Jesus did for us on the cross can now start affecting the way that we live. Does anybody believe that? Does anybody want that? Really to understand and appropriate the goodness of God in their lives. So often that's what Jesus was doing in his ministry. 
But, but I want to try to prepare you. So the first thing I want to do before I get into the positive, I want to go to the negative real quick. And by negative, I just mean I want to tell you what heaven is not. Go ahead and throw up that first picture for me. Because some of us, um, if we don't have a really biblical understanding about what heaven looks like, th this is kind of what we're going for. Right? We have this idea of the naked babies with wings. you know, And, and I think this picture is very interesting because this baby looks like he's falling off of a cliff going somewhere. And it, and it looks like he's trying to get that dove's feathers out of his out of his wings. And they're all wrestling for like uh, some some like ivy and different flowers and stuff. Um, but, can, but I can assure you that the Bible does not paint the picture that when we die, you will be surrounded by floating naked fat babies with wings playing harps. You believe that? All right, show me that next picture. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a good one. See, I love this picture especially because, because this guy looks really bored. Like, you think you're going to be bored in heaven? And this guy's like, wake up, I'm playing the trumpet, man, don't be bored. Yeah, so, so needless to say, sometimes in art and sometimes even in movies, because you've probably seen a Lifetime movie or two, um, and, and maybe heaven's been portrayed there, sometimes we have a very false understanding of what heaven is. Can I tell you that heaven is not going to be a place where we just sit around all day and play harps? It's not going to be a place all day where we have to swat fat babies away from us because like mosquitoes, they're bothering us. That's not what heaven's going to be. All right, so it's not going to be a boring place. It's not going to be this either. Yeah, show me that picture. Um, this, is, this is a famous painting of, of God here. And look at God's face, right? God looks like the kid from next door just stepped onto his yard and he just got done pruning the grass. Not mowing, pruning the grass. And, and he's trying to get that, get off my lawn. That's what that looks like to me as I look at this picture. What are you doing on my lawn, kid? And these guys behind him, I don't even know, if you pay attention to these faces behind God here, they look very, very sad. Not a single one of them look happy. Um, and so sometimes the picture is painted of heaven that it's like you just don't want to go to hell. But, but we don't want to paint the picture, though, in the midst of that is just saying, hey, you don't want to go to hell. You want to go to that nice heaven. But then we, we talk about, like, how bad God will judge you or, and, and how bad hell will be. And you're like, if that's the God that's, that I'm going to meet in heaven, then I'm not sure if I want to be with that God. Yes, I don't want to go to hell, but do I want to be in heaven forever with that guy? The guy that hates me and that's mean to me and that judges me and, and, and all of that. And you're, and you're not so sure that that's, that's the picture of heaven that you should have in your head. Certainly I know this. God is not a mean and angry and unpleasant God. So let's talk about what heaven truly is. Maybe before I should say that, I should say that that some of us have an interpretation of heaven that comes down from history. Um, and back in the Middle, Middle Ages and the medieval period and, and, and back in those times, there was this, this picture kind of was painted of God, that this is God, you know, that, that you just want to do whatever you can to, to go to heaven and escape the punishment uh, that is awaiting you in the afterlife. And, and people could even buy their way into heaven. There was a teaching about something called purgatory where if you weren't really who you needed to be, you'd go to this middle place called purgatory and then, and then you can pay your way out of purgatory and you can finally go to, go to heaven. And, and none of that paints the picture of God as anything other than a tyrant that's just going to throw you in hell unless you give me money. 
And so the church got kind of a bad reputation because of the way that they believed about, about heaven and hell. But I can assure you that, that when Jesus was on the cross and he talked about heaven, he didn't say, today you will be with me in the presence of fat-winged babies. He did not say, today you will be with me in the presence of an angry God. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Look at this, Luke 23, 43. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly I tell you, by the way, Jesus was uh, uh, very commonly said this, truly, truly, or truly, verily. It's a, it's a way of trying to bring emphasis to a statement. I'm going to tell you, I guarantee you, today you will be with me in paradise. And of course, Jesus is speaking. He's surrounded on left and right with a thief on his left and a thief on his right who are being punished for crimes they committed. Jesus is in the middle. One thief is accusing Jesus and mocking Jesus. And the other one was doing it too until it started to get ugly. And then he stopped and he said, this isn't right. And he said, this is a good man. We deserve to be here. You deserve to be here. But this man doesn't deserve to be here. And then he said, remember me. He turned to Jesus and said, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And then Jesus responds and he says, truly, you will be with me today. In paradise. So that's the way Jesus chose to designate or to try to describe and explain heaven to each and every one of us. That it's a paradise. So that's what you have to look forward to. Paradise. That's what heaven is. That's the way in our minds when we think about heaven, that's what should, should start to, the, the images that we should start to conjure. Paradise. That's, that's what we should start to conjure. And so I want to show you three things real quick that not only we think about when we think about paradise, but also the Bible confirms that this is what heaven is going to be like. And the first thing is this, is that, is that heaven is a place of rest. Why do you go on vacation? Why do you go to an uh, exotic island? So that you can get some rest. Maybe because you're a little bit weary, you're a little bit tired, and you need a little bit of rest. And so you go, you, you go to unplug, and you go to get some relaxation so that you can come back and you can go back to your job and go back to normal life and go back to some of the things that made you tired in the first place. Listen to this, Revelation 14, 13. And then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed are those who die when they believe in Jesus. That's the first thing he said. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. So there was a voice, and then the, the Spirit of God responds to that voice, and he says, they will rest from their labor. Their deeds will follow them. They will rest from their labor. Their deeds will follow them. Do you need rest this morning? Do you need to know that, that for the things that you've done here on this earth, they do not stop just because you die. Do you need to know that some of the things, the effort, the, the hard work that you put into the things that you're doing here on this earth that have caused you to be weary, do you need a promise this morning that it's not all for naught? That, that, that it's not just you die and then it's over. All this weariness, all this toil, all this labor, maybe even a little bit of discouragement, maybe even a little bit of disappointment along the way. The promise of heaven tells each and every one of you this, and I hope this hits you in your spirit like a ton of bricks. The promise of heaven tells you this, that your weariness is worth it all. That whatever weariness you experience here on this earth, don't worry. There's one day it's going to be a day of rest. Don't worry. What, what you've done here on this earth, it will eventually matter. 
And, 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 and you won't have to always do the things that you've done here. Because some in heaven, some of that stuff's going to stop. Listen, you don't have to go to work in heaven. Somebody shout amen. amen. You don't have to change a dirty diaper in heaven. Some of that work is going to stop. Listen, you don't even have to pray for sick people in heaven. Jesus is taking care of that. Some of the work that we do here on this earth will stop. But the promise of heaven doesn't only tell us that, that one day your work will stop. And if you're taking notes, you need to get this. The promise of heaven is that one day you'll experience rest. But the, also this, the secondary promise of heaven is that while you're here on this earth, your work matters. Because it doesn't stop. It doesn't cease. In fact, here, look at this verse again. It says this. They will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. See, what you do here on this earth matters because heaven exists. If heaven did not exist, and maybe even today you would say, I'm not sure about this Jesus thing. I'm not sure about this heaven thing. Um, if, if heaven didn't exist, then what does your life matter here on this earth? Do what you want, but more than likely, even if you're a great man or woman, Within a couple of generations, probably the vast majority of you are not going to be famous, more than likely, or at least famous to the point where people will remember your name hundreds of years after your death. The vast majority of people will live their life and they will die, and then within a generation, more than likely, they will be much forgotten. Unless, unless heaven is a place where your work follows you. Unless heaven is a place where all the things that you've done here on this earth will matter, and, and, and that all of the things that you've done here on this earth will go one day with you to heaven and you'll be able to look back on those things and say, hey, I might have been weary. I might have been discouraged. I might have been, uh, I might have been beaten up emotionally, but it mattered because I was doing something that was of eternal good. Maybe perhaps some of you have taken that next little leap in your relationship with Jesus and you talk to other people about the joy of knowing Christ and, and you'll maybe see a person in heaven because of the work that you've done here on this earth. See, the work that you do does matter because heaven exists. And so, I'd love to tell you that, there, that just because you're a Christian, you'll no more weariness, no more tiredness, no more discouragement. But the reality is, is that we live in a fallen world, and that's going to happen. But I can promise you this. Yeah, you may get tired. Yeah, you may get discouraged. Yeah, you may, um, may get upset about things. And yeah, you may be dealing with something right now in your life that you don't like very much. But heaven is real. And God is with you. And if heaven exists then all the things that God in his realness is allowing you to experience here on this earth will make sense when you get there. See, if we could look in hindsight now, we'd understand the beauty and the purpose of everything that we're experiencing here now in this earth, and we wouldn't give up. We wouldn't stop short. We'd, we, if we really had a vision of, of what heaven is and that, that eventually we'll be able to rest, we'll say, okay, I'll take this 60, this 70, this 80, these 90 years and I'll give my everything to Jesus even if I get weary. Because 90 years in comparison to the greatness of eternity is nothing. See, your tiredness or your weariness, if you have any, it'll make sense if you understand the goodness of eternal life with Jesus. You won't stop short. You won't, you'll be like that woman who, who came to Jesus and said, Jesus, um, I need you to do a favor for me. My, my child needs your help. And Jesus said, um, it's not right to give bread to dogs. You remember that story? 
Jesus was ultimately using a racial slur right there to call a Gentile woman a dog. In other words, she's not a Jew. That's what Jesus was saying. And then the woman said this in her audacity. She turned to Jesus and said, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Well, I'd give anything for for a church full of people who would say the same to Jesus, who would say, God, I don't need the whole loaf. Just give me a couple crumbs. If you'll give me just that, I'll follow you. I'll do whatever you want. You can insult me. You can throw anything in my path. You can put difficulty in my way, but I'll keep on pursuing you. I'll keep on pushing because I'm not going to let a little bit of resistance and a little bit of difficulty keep my life from doing good things and from seeing your goodness in, in the land of the living. You get that? So that racial slur was set up there, I think, as a, as, a, as, a, as a roadblock to see if the woman would push past her weariness, push past her difficulty, push past her being upset, push past her offense, and even push past all of that stuff to believe God for the healing that she needed for her child. Sometimes God allows things to happen to us in this life so that we can learn to push. So that we can learn to go past the weariness, past the discouragement, and to continue to make the most of our life while we're here on this earth. See, I believe God wants us to appreciate our years, our time here on this this earth. And so there are times where difficulty will come. I mean, Jesus himself even took his disciples on a boat ride one day. Listen to the audacity of Jesus. Storm comes. Looks like the boat's going to capsize. It's filling up with water. And all the disciples are grabbing buckets trying to get the water out of the ship. You guys remember this story? And then Jesus has the audacity to be sleeping. And then Peter goes, come on, Jesus, get up. You know, we need to grab a bucket. We need your help here. And then Jesus wakes up and says, oh, ye of little faith. Calms the storm and it stops immediately. And then Jesus goes back to sleeping. See, I wish some of us would, would grab a hold Not only of the eventual rest, but understand that that whatever we're experiencing in this life, if Jesus is with us, it's okay. Jesus brought them into that storm, knew that storm was going to come, and then had the audacity to sleep right beside them. You might say, that's a little too much rest. Jesus, where are you in the midst of this storm? Well, he's right there on the boat. And guess what he's inviting you to do? In the midst of your weariness, in the midst of your fear, in the midst of your difficulty, he's inviting you to do what he was doing. To believe him enough to let heaven come to this earth even before you go to heaven and to just, just to let rest come in the midst of the storm. Galatians 6, 9 tells us this, because I believe that there's anything we probably need more so in the church than anything ever before. And maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I know we can stand to use it. If we learn to push, even when we're weary, we'll see some of the best miracles in our life because I think we quit too soon. I think we get a little too tired too soon. But heaven gives us the promise that your weariness is worth it all. Listen to this verse. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. See, what happens if we do faint? See, I don't see, we think we see the season of harvest and the season of blessing that God really wants us to have. But if we stick to it, if we grab a hold of stick to it in this, and be not weary in well-doing, and push... If we believe that one day we'll rest while we're here on this earth, let's push. Let's give our everything. Let's give our 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, however much we got. Let's make the most. Let's seize the day. Let's carpe diem this thing while we're here. Let's make the most of each and every day. And then one day we'll have a day of rest where we can enjoy all that we did here on this earth. Secondly, this heaven is a place where suffering stops. And this is where I have to stop and just kind of give an aside and just say this. 
I don't know if this morning any of you are really dealing with something hard in your life. You've come to the right place. More than importantly, you've come to the right Jesus. Because the Jesus of the Bible promises you that there will be an end to suffering. And that he has the key to suffering. Um, Now, let's bring it back to paradise real quick. Because you think about paradise. Right? Paradise is a place that you go to get rid of some of the stresses of this life. Like we talked about with rest. But in a similar fashion, a paradise is a getaway so that you can escape some of your, your issues and some of your problems very often. And, and you, can, you can kind of go and reflect on them. And you may say, well, Reed, that's kind of cowardly. That's kind of escapist. No, I think the reality is, is that we all need to be able to, to step away from some of the things that are going on in this life so that we can gain perspective. And here's the perspective that hopefully if you do go on a vacation, here's the perspective I hope you pull away from whatever you're dealing with here in this life. If you're truly suffering, not just weary from work, but you're truly suffering in this life, here's the promise that I hope you pull away with you. It's Revelation 7, 17. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be the shepherd and he will lead them to the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. That God will wipe away every tear from your eye. If by chance you may be suffering here this morning, know this, that eventually... All that you've experienced, all the difficulty that that you've gone through here on this earth, that one day in heaven, God, the ultimate comforter, will be there to wipe away tears from each and every eye. That that I believe this is kind of what's happening there. I know you may not be able to see this real clearly, but let me try to expound this to you the way that I think that the Bible is trying to to tell you. is Is that I don't know if I can say anything that will make your suffering okay. But I think only in light of eternity, when you finally get to heaven, I I know that that stuff hurt. And I don't think Jesus would ever diminish your pain or or make you feel bad for having pain. That's That's not what he would ever do. But I do think that there's a certain sense in which when you finally get to heaven and that moment where where you you are crying for whatever reason you may be crying about. Now it may be tears of joy, but it may be crying because of, of the suffering that you've experienced here on this earth. It's there where Jesus makes it okay. It's there where Jesus helps you understand your momentary suffering in light of the greatness and the bigness of eternity. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that your momentary sufferings are not worth being compared to the glory that God is going to reveal, not only here on this earth, but also one day. I truly believe that if you get a paradise-sized view of suffering, that whenever you go through difficulty, you'll be able to say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, or sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Anybody ever heard that song? Anybody love that song? I love that song. You know what I almost like just as much as the song? Is the story behind the song. I don't know it completely, but I do know this, that, that the man who wrote the song experienced the death of most of his children, um, some in a fire and some in a boat crash. Um, an experience, yeah, I believe even in the Chicago fire, some of his children died and then they were going away to London, I believe, and uh, taking a trip and he sent his family ahead of him because he had some things to do and on that trip, more of his family was killed. 
And so you understand what he's saying. When peace like a river comes, in other words, like when God's given me peace, great. Or when sorrows like sea billows roll, like when the, when the waves of the sea crashing against my life, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. So the point here is this, is that suffering is a reminder that this world is not your home. If you experience difficulty here on this earth, remember, this earth was never meant to be your final resting place. And only in light of eternity, where God wipes away every tear from your eye, will you truly understand what this life is truly all about, I think. So if you go through suffering, if you go through difficulty, just remember. Maybe if you watch the news lately, come on somebody. If you watch the news, just remember, thank God, this is not all there is. There's more. There's more. And the third point is this. Most importantly, heaven is a place where Jesus is. See, I could talk to you about streets of gold. I could talk to you about walls of jasper. I could talk to you about gates of pearl. I could talk to you all about the decor of heaven. But I'd rather talk to you about the ultimate destination of heaven. Why do you go to, um, uh, on vacation and go to some exotic island? Because there's something there you want to see. Maybe it's blue waters. Maybe it's a vista view. Maybe it's a, a beautiful hotel. Maybe it's delicious food. You can't wait to sink your teeth into some of that stuff. And in the same way, we look forward to the paradise that is heaven because there's something that we want to see there. But it's not any of those things I just named. There is one thing that will make any weariness or any difficulty that you experience here on this earth worth it all. And that's for you to be in the presence of the one who made you, Jesus himself. So heaven isn't a destination, it's a person. And you know this well. Um, uh, maybe you've gone to some place that you really look forward to, but then somebody came along with you that just made that place awful. You can be on the most beautiful, remote island. Maybe you're going to Fiji. And by the way, if you are, you can buy four extra tickets and my family will come and we will preach right in your ear while we're sitting next to the beach and enjoying everything that's there. So yeah, you go to Fiji and it, and, 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 and it, and it has an, an awesome, beautiful view, an awesome, beautiful beach. I've seen some really cool like hotels that are in the water kind of in Fiji. You go there, but you bring the wrong company, and you've probably maybe experienced this in your life. You bring the wrong company with you, and the most beautiful place on the earth can be very agonizing. So it's all about who's with you. So when you go to heaven, you won't have that problem because you will be in the presence of God. And maybe if you'll be honest with yourself, you thought to yourself, yeah, but what about that person that's going to be there? They're a Christian, but I don't really like spending time with them. Listen, even that person, when they're along for the ride, when you go and you're in the presence of Almighty God, you won't care about how annoying they are when they chew. You won't care about any of the things that have happened to you in your past compared to the greatness and the glory of being in the presence of God. Oh, I wish I could explain it to you. I wish I could, could show it to you. The best thing I can think to do is just go straight to the Bible and show you Exodus 33 where, where Moses is talking to God and God's like, I'm really upset with what you guys are doing and I am not going to go with you. You guys just go to the promised land. And by the way, the promised land in the Bible was a place with milk and honey. Now, I don't know if you like milk and honey and if you don't, then we'll just pray for you afterwards because milk is delicious and so is honey. 
But needless to say, back then especially, no refrigeration, and you have to harvest all this. You've got to bring cows or goats or whatever to get that milk. A lot of work. And, and what God was promising them is that when you go to the promised land out of slavery from Egypt, that it's going to be a great place to live. It's going to be awesome. Milk and honey will flow. That's what God said. It's going to be so awesome. In fact, when they finally get there, they realize that the grapes in that land are bigger than anything that they, can, that they have ever seen. The produce of that land is amazing. For an aggregate cultural um, culture back then, do you understand how important that is? And so all of that plays into this. God says, just go. I'll send you. And Moses responds to God. You remember this? And he says this. Do not send me if you don't go with me. So you can send me to the most beautiful place on this earth. You can send me to the most blessed place with all of my needs taken care of. And some of you, that's your picture of heaven. But Moses shows us the right picture of heaven. You can take care of all of my issues, God. But if I don't have God, then you're missing the most important part of heaven. That's what it's all about. Listen to this, Revelation 21, 3 through 4. So you'll know it's not just me telling you that that's what heaven's all about. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. God's living with them. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the older, old order of things has passed away. Right now, some of the most enjoyable moments of your life will be those moments where you feel closest to God. Think about this. Some of you may not be able to sympathize with this because you don't know what it really means to be close to God yet. And you need to start a relationship with him here today. But for those of us that do, the greatest moments of your life are going to be moments where you feel the closest to God. And think about heaven. There will no more be about feelings of closeness or farness because you'll be with him completely. And maybe you just need to think about it this way. Because maybe if you don't even know if there is a God, here's what I would say to you. If God exists and if God is real, would it not be the most splendid thing on the planet to be with him? And that's the promise of heaven. You know, I believe that each and every one of us have been, giving an, been given an appetite for a reason. Yeah, and what I mean by appetite, I mean a desire for things. I mean, thank God that God didn't just say, here's food for nutrients, but he also put some flavor on that stuff. I mean, does anybody like food in here besides me? I mean, if he just gave you food but no flavor, wouldn't that be awful? So, so you crave food uh, because it's delicious. And, and you crave things here on this earth. Maybe you think about your, your, whatever your favorite food is. Maybe you think about your favorite movie. Maybe you think about your favorite place to go to. Maybe you think about your favorite person to be around. We all have these cravings. We all have these desires. And quite frankly, if we'll be honest, even though we're in church, which is a good place to be honest, by the way, we also have these cravings that sometimes get us in trouble. You think about people, if we're just be really honest, people who, who are addicted to some type of substance, Maybe addicted to pornography, some type of temptation that, that, that I believe even the good and the bad cravings inside of each and every one of us are because God created us for something to crave. 
God created us to hunger for something bigger than ourselves. Now, we try to find it in food. We try to find it in movies. We try to find it in entertainment. And some of us have gone the other way, and we try to find it in things that are ultimately, maybe even, pleasurable for a little bit, but will ultimately ruin our lives and hurt us in the long run. And we try to find pleasure in all those things, but whether good or bad, God made us a people of desire. And ultimately, I believe he made us a people of desire because he wants us to desire the one thing that will satisfy more than anything. Come on, somebody. The, the presence and, 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 the, and being in the midst of God. The one thing that once you've tasted of that, you don't get hungry ever again. You, you, you don't immediately walk away from that experience and you're like, okay, where's dessert? It's like Chinese food, right? They say, like, after an hour, you're hungry again, no matter how much you ate. I don't know how that all works. But, but I do know this, that, that God made us a people of desire for this reason. You desi- your desire for more is really a craving for the infinite. So come on, before we get to heaven, can we just right now make, make, a, make a decision in our heart that we're going to crave and hunger for God more so than anything else, more than any of our creature comforts here on this earth? Can we go ahead and say, I'd rather start now living for the one thing that's going to be what heaven is all about when I finally get there and the only thing that will truly crave the appetite and the desires of our heart. Come on, I'm preaching better than some of you are amen. He's good. Taste and see that he is good. If you have not here today, if you haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good, please know this, that your desire for more is really a craving for the infinite, that the only thing that will truly satiate the desires of the human heart is God himself. He's the only thing that's big enough. I mean, think about this. We, uh, we, we have technology more so than we have ever had And unhappiness is probably statistically higher than it's ever been. But yet we have more at our disposal. I said this last week, if material goods and possessions were going to truly bring you happiness, we'd be happy by now. There's only one thing that can satisfy the cravings of the human heart, and it's God himself. God is the only one. So heaven is a place where Jesus is. And it's a place where you want to be. So all of this to say this, heaven is a paradise where we can rest, where there will be no more suffering, and we can be with Jesus endlessly. For some of you who think that may be boring, even I would say this, um, it says in the Bible that the angels of God encircle the throne and they say, holy, 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 like 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you may think to yourself, won't that get boring? Well, typically, yes. If you were surrounding Reed and saying, holy, 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 first of all, I would slap you because that's not right. Um, you don't know me well enough um, <clears throat> if you think that's true. Um, but, but I would also say, yeah, for me, that would be boring. But think about this. The reason the angels are able to go in heaven and, and encircle the throne in what seems like a monotonous tax over and over and over again and say, holy, 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 and not be like, oh, my God, can I hang up my heart? Is because they're in the presence of the one who is new every morning. Come on, that's what the Bible says, that his mercies are new every single morning. Think you saw mercy? Just wait till tomorrow. You want to see it again in a new and fresh way? God will show you because God is so big. That you can see something about him every moment different than the day before. If you gaze into a God who is bigger than you and bigger than your problems and bigger than your suffering. That's the beauty of heaven. 
It's a paradise one day. But here's the good news, guys. You know, preachers always got to have a conclusion, but thankfully this one's just one point. Here's the, here's the good news. It's that you don't have to wait. And maybe you heard this sprinkled throughout this sermon. You don't have to wait. Heaven changes the, the way we look at things now. But also Jesus made, made this declaration. He said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, but it is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. And Jesus even taught his disciples to pray just like this. You want paradise one day? Don't wait. He said, pray like this. Father, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. See, I believe that just as we sang um, a moment ago that God wants heaven to be inside of each and every one of us and he wants us to be the people who usher heaven here into this earth. Come on, he wants us to be heaven bearers, presence bearers of God who bring heaven here to this earth. And you may say, what does that look like, Reed? What does that even mean? The best way I can think to explain it is like this, John 3, 27. Let me give you the context of this last thing because I think this will help you the most, maybe of anything today. Is that the disciples of John come to John and they're upset because Jesus is baptizing more people than John. So in other words, it's like... Um, John's got this well-established church, um, and he's baptizing people in the River Jordan. And then um, uh, Jesus comes on the scene, and then all these people who once were following John are now following Jesus. And the disciples of John the Baptist come to him, and they say, what are we going to do about this? They're, they're baptizing more people than we are. This new church that's moved in here, they're doing these things and that thing, and we got to put a stop to this. And this is what John the Baptist says to him, to them. And John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. Oh, I hope you get this before we close today. That, that essentially what John was saying was that I was given something to do here on this earth from God in heaven. And that's what I'm going to live my life doing. I'm not going to be worried about the superficial earthly things of this life. I'm going to start living according to what heaven is like. That's kind of what John is saying. I'm going to start living according to what heaven has given me. What has heaven given you? It's given you a paradise of rest. It's given you a paradise of suffering. And it's given you a paradise where you can be with Jesus. So here's my exhortation to each and every one of you as we close today. Here's my, my encouragement to us all. And I know that this won't be easy, but, but, I hope, but I hope this sticks with you. John, in a sense, was doing this. Where, where the rest of the world was clenching to this life and forgetting about heaven and, and grabbing a hold of what was his and only thinking about himself and what he wanted to do that week in his schedule, his calendar, all the stuff that he has going on in his life, the soccer practices, the basketball practices, the gymnastic practices. For those of you who have kids that are older now, you're, you're thanking God. You're, you're singing praises right now. But for those of us who still do, you know, here's my exhortation for all of us, regardless of what it may look like. And maybe the older we get, the easier this becomes. To do like John did. And, and, and not to try to hang on to something that he can't keep. But to do this. To live like heaven now. To, to take his hands off of his life and just say, I can only give or do what was given to me by heaven. Every time, and, and sometimes churches and Christians are the worst about this, 
is that we, we, we just, we want it now and we cling to our thing, our way, when we want it. And, and we do this with the things of God, with the promises of God. But if we'll learn to live like John and just give it away, not hold it so close to us, but learn to live like this, holding life loosely, being willing to let it go. I'll close with this. Um, if you've ever seen the movie End of the Spear, um, you've seen a great movie. If you haven't seen it, I'd encourage you to check it out. Jim Elliott, the guy who um, led an expedition into a unreached people group to talk to them about Jesus, a Christian missionary, um, who eventually would be speared to death and killed because he goes into this, to this new place with these new people. And ultimately, some of you may even say, if you have kind of a more activist nature inside of you, you may say, well, why even go there? Why not leave those people alone and leave them to their culture? Well, what was going to happen, whether Jim Elliott or anybody else liked it or not, is industrialization. And there were people who were moving into that jungle, and they were going to kill those people and move them out of their space. And so Jim Elliott and a group of men said, we're going to move into that place, and we're going to talk to these guys about heaven. We're going to talk to them about Jesus before these other men come in here and, and destroy their culture. And Jim Elliott and his boys eventually make contact. They, they fly over and then eventually they land and they say, hey, the, the, the company that's coming in there to destroy this rainforest, they're, they're, they're coming, so we gotta go now. And so they go there and they make initial contact with these guys. And everything's going well for a little bit until um, one of them, one of the Indians, grabs a spear, throws the first one into the heart of Jim Elliott, and then more come out of the forest and then throw spears repeatedly into each and every missionary until they're dead on all the ground. And Jim Elliot said this before he took that trip. And if we can learn to live like this, we could say it too. He said, a man is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he can never lose. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. For more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our channel for past episodes. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating or even sharing it with friends. That would mean so much to us. For more content from Soma Church or to connect with us, go to soma-church.com. We love you and we can't wait to meet you.